Well, you might have thought it'd be fairly quiet for Columbus Day in the United States, but not the case. Equities have been trading with big rises. Well, look at what's been happening there. Plus, the pound doing well, not because there's a Brexit breakthrough. Don't hold your breath on that one, otherwise you'll asphyxiate yourself. There's more signs, maybe, that the Bank of England will be going down the negative interest rate road. And the People's Bank of China manages to calm down their currency just as China releases its trade numbers again today. It's Tuesday, the 13th of October, 2020. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, yes, because it was Columbus Day, uh, no bonds traded in the United States, but equities did, and they're up a lot. 3.3% for the NASDAQ, 2% up for the S&P 500, and 1.1% for the Dow. Whilst the FTSE 100 is down a quarter percent, the Eurostoxx 50 is up uh, three quarters of 1%. Interestingly, the euro is down today, though, and the pound is up a quarter percent, whilst the US dollar, well, it's not really moved much on the DXY. It's down 0.3%, though, against the Japanese yen. So the Aussie dollar and the Kiwi dollar is down as well. The Aussie dollar down about 0.4%. WTI crude is down 2.7%. So what do we make of all of that? Well, Gray Attrell is head of FX strategy at NAB in Sydney. A big push in US tech overnight. Apple up over 6%, climbing back uh, to, uh, well, where it was at the beginning of last month, uh, which is, uh, you know, not quite there, but getting back towards its all-time high. So what's happening here? I mean, it is it is reporting season, isn't it? But why this big tech push all of a sudden? Um, I don't know, Phil. Good morning. Um in the sense, ask you that question then. In the sense that, um, you know, I've, I've, I've got up half an hour ago and I've had a quick look at markets and said that, uh, um, you know, why is the NASDAQ again outperforming after a little period that we've had as the markets have become more confident in, um, you know, not just a Biden victory, but also potentially a Biden victory with the so-called clean sweep in terms of the Democrats taking yeah. control of the Senate and reduced prospects for, for a messy contested election, given how far Joe Biden has been pulling ahead in the polls and particularly in some of the swing states, um, you know, then the thought process is, well, you know, in a, in a, in a Biden presidency with the ability to enact um, all of the legislation, um, which is not just on fiscal policy, but also regulation in certain areas, um, you know, the thought process yeah. is that this is going to be on a relative basis, potentially bad news for tech. And what we have seen in recent weeks is the likes of the Russell 2000, which is a, you know, a lesser known, but the, the premier sort of small cap index in the US has has significantly outperformed relative to the likes of the NASDAQ. And it's on the view that mm. well, if we're going to have big fiscal stimulus, albeit after the election, not before, that probably supports um, you know SMEs more than it might do for likes of big tech companies. Um, plus, right. you've got the sort of regu- so it makes regulatory no sense, then. I- So it makes no sense. But um, <laughs> when did Apple shares going up, whatever it was, percent in a day, make a whole lot of sense. sense? So, uh, yeah. so it is and a little bit strange. All of that as well, we've had, the, we've had the OECD today release. I don't think it's going to get anywhere, but they released a blueprint saying, well, we basically want to uh, put this for, in what's going to amount as a 4% tax and redistribute the income uh, around the world. I mean, I, I can't see uh, the US, whether it's Biden or Trump, I can't see the US playing ball on that one. Well, anyway. you know, you say but, that, but um, I mean, one of the other things we've been talking about um, with clients is that remember that the plans that were being um, driven by France in particular for this global digital mm. tax that effectively got put on ice earlier in the year um, as a sort of a deal where Trump agreed that he was not going to further ratchet up tariffs on some European countries, France in particular, um, you know, in return for sort of France dropping those demands for the time being. But that was only ever a, a pre-election um, issue, I think. So I think you've got, you know, that that 
the idea of a global digital tax, I think, comes straight back onto the radar, possibly with not the um, the staunch opposition from a Biden government. We also um, learned on Monday that the EU is, is coming up with a list of, I think it's 20 big tech stroke internet companies um, that it wants to toughen regulations and make it um, harder for them to uh, to use their, their market power or monopoly power, if you want to call it that, in a way that they have. So you know, giving a leg yeah. up to competition. And that, again, is something that um, you think would not support big tech. So um, I can see all sorts of reasons why tech should not be leading the charge, but there it is. It is. And um, um, so I think we just have to accept that for the moment, the market is saying, look, more clarity or more confidence, if you like, in a clean election win, more confidence in big fiscal stimulus, albeit not um, as this side of the election. And that is a sort of a rising tide that's floating. Exactly. All You've just given the longest answer to, uh, with, to the longest I don't know answer to a question ever, I think. But look, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, Donald Trump is not going to go down without a fight, is he? I mean, he's, he's he apparently he's he's got his first event back again, 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, he's going to take the stage in Florida. Uh, it's going to be incredible, apparently, in an email he uh, he sent me earlier on. But CNN saying uh, Joe Biden's polling is better than any challenger since 1936. So it's going to be a big turnaround, isn't it, if he does win. On the fiscal stimulus, that is not going to happen, is it? Because the, the Senate now is totally obsessed with this uh, week-long hearing, the, the nomination for Amy Coney Barrett as the, to, the, to the U.S. Supreme Court, a week of questioning. Basically. Absolutely. And I think that just illustrates where the priorities of the Senate lie. And we sort of, you know, we obviously we got wind of that, you know, the day that, um, that Amy Coney Barrett was nominated and... Um, Plus, you know, quite a few of the Senate Republicans have made clear that they are not on side, even with this um, revised um, offer from the White House to up the the size of the stimulus. I think it was from 1.6 to 1.8 billion, which Nancy Pelosi, in any sense, has rejected as being lacking the sort of detail um, that would be required for them to support it. So, yes, yeah, so the chances of that sort of pre-election deal have pretty much receded. But you know, the markets are saying, well, whether it comes in. October, November, or whether it comes in late January or February next year, assuming that we do have this this clean sweep, then um, you know markets are forward looking and they're saying, well, we're going to have three months or so of presumably a softening economy. Um, or you could, and then you could simply yeah. argue that, well, maybe a lot of uh, U.S. politicians are resigned to the fact that they're going to lose the election. So, um, you know, the one thing they can ram through by way of legacy, if you like, um, is getting Amy uh, Amy Coney Barrett yeah. onto the onto the Supreme Court. Yeah, well, it's going to make a big difference, isn't it? So, uh, the Aussie dollar down today. How much of that was to do with the uh, the success of the People Bank's People's Bank of China's strategy of uh, making it easier to, and cheaper to uh, to short the Renminbi? Because, of course, it was going up a lot uh, at the end of uh, uh, last week, it's been stopped in its track to, tracks. So it, yes, uh, what Donald, what Donald Trump might call currency yeah. manipulation, perhaps he may well do that. But uh, remember, they they rescind that currency manipulator label as part of the Phase mm. One trade deal. But the answer to the question, Riozzi and Kiwi, is a lot because you would not have expected, um, you know, to wake up and find that the Nasdaq was up 3% and the S&P was up 2%. And so, well, Aussie is obviously higher. And no, Aussie and Kiwi dollars are both at the bottom of the G10 FX leaderboard. Um, so the only sort of logical explanation, not that logic always applies to day-to-day moves in currencies any more than stocks, um, yeah. you know, is that it's a little bit of a bomb, not bombshell, I say, but, um, you know, the weekend news that you discussed yesterday where the PBOC has rescinded the requirement for, for banks to hold a 20% deposit to cover um, FX forward transactions has effectively made it, wouldn't say cheap to short the CMY, but certainly much less expensive 
to run short CMY positions. And there's a clear inference there uh, that they've become a little bit uncomfortable with the, the pace and magnitude of um, uh, appreciation of the Chinese currency, particularly over that intervening China holiday period. Um, so the move below sort of 670 looks to be the move too far. Um, you know, and but, but surprisingly, I mean, we've had renminbi strength, but the Aussie has actually spent a good part of September week feeding off the negative stock market vibes. So sort of go figure. But mm. um, I think it is in this case, it is the idea that um, the renminbi time is being called for now, at least on renminbi appreciation. Yeah, well, I mean, for now, I mean, it, yeah, it's going to be hard to keep it down, though. I mean, we get the trade figures from China today. And I mean, if they're strong, if the Chinese economy is going gangbusters against the rest of the world, surely it's going to be hard to keep it down, isn't it? Well, it is. But there's also a lot of structural factors. You know, we know that, um, you know, the inclusion of um, renminbi bonds in, in the global bond indices for, from next year is going to bring potentially you know, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of flow uh, into the market there. As you say, if the Chinese recovery is proceeding apace, then, um, you know, again, there should be more tolerance, if you like, but certainly market pressures are there. Interest rates in China are substantially more attractive than they are in the rest of the world. And that is you know, both deterring Chinese investors from putting money abroad, as well as encouraging capital inflows. So, um, and, and against the backdrop of US dollar weakness, which we continue to expect, that sort of automatically, you know, puts upward pressure on other currencies, including the renminbi. So, you know, we haven't changed our forecasts on the back of uh, weekend developments. We're still thinking that, um, you know, the currency is heading down to sort of the 640, 650 area over the course of the next year or two, yeah. um, assuming that we do see, you know, that US dollar depreciation um, cycle sort of gathering momentum. Um, one side or other of the US elections are potentially more likely the other side than this side. Now, the pound is up today. I don't think that is because Boris Johnson's been there announcing their new lockdown measures. So the pubs are closing in, in Liverpool. I'm not quite sure what you do in Liverpool if the pubs are closed, but uh, uh, tougher measures might be uh, introduced in London as well uh, later this week. No full lockdown. So maybe that's the, you know that's given some optimism, but it's, it's still going to hurt the GDP numbers, isn't it there, which, you know, predictions were minus 10 uh, for the year based on no lockdown. So this is just going to make it were so that's not what's uh, boiling the pan is it because the you know there's an expectation maybe that the bank of england is actually going to cut interest rates into into negative territory next month is that what's driving it um well uh, we were talking yesterday weren't we and obviously there is this um you know the the, the um the bank of england has, has put out a notice asking people for sort of views on the technicalities of moving mm. to negative rates. I don't think, I don't make a big deal of that. I don't think it It says, oh, you know, they're about to pull the trigger on this. There's a lot of preparation clearly needed. You know, we saw that from yeah. the RBNZ, obviously, although they accompanied it with a fairly clear messaging um, that, you know, they wanted to know the technical um, difficulties or challenges of doing that, but with a clear intent that it was uh, it was definitely on the radar as a policy. We haven't got to that point, I don't think, with the Bank of England. Well, the feedback, the deadline for the feedback, it was a, a letter actually from Sam Woods from the Prudential Regulation mm -hmm. Authority. The deadline for that is after the next uh, Bank of England meeting, if that means anything. Right. OK. But uh, but yes, but certainly, you know, on another day, perhaps it could have been used as the pretext for sterling weakness, as could the, uh, the lockdowns. I suppose you'd have to say that... Um, um, you know, the market is still traveling with a degree of optimism that um, even though mm. Boris Johnson has said, you know, Thursday is the deadline for getting outline agreement on a post-Brexit trade agreement, which, um, you know, frankly, I, I, you know, I'd probably bet against that happening. And, and you know, our view and, and, you know, and Gavin is, is the, uh, the architect of our view, if you like, is saying, I still think this thing runs until late October, November. So, um, you know, it's not, is it really a hard deadline this weekend? But uh, markets still seem to want to travel 
with a degree yeah. of, uh, of optimism there. And just on the lockdown thing. So is, that another, is that another I don't know answer? You don't, you don't, <laughs> it is you don't know why the pound yes. is so. One of the yeah. other things, though, that again, uh, talking to, to Gavin and the team last night is saying it's interesting, despite the fact that, you know, the virus infection rates have been going the wrong way, um, you know, lockdowns are occurring, um, you know, not just in, in, in parts of England, other parts of the world. As yet, it hasn't showed up in any of the, the, the data. The data is still showing, you know, things like services, PMIs, still in, in mm. quite significant expansionary territory. So you do wonder, even with these lockdowns, whether it's going to have quite the negative economic impact that uh, that we saw, obviously, in the earlier stages of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, time will Maybe. tell, and the chances are there is going to be, um, you know, some more you know, economic weakness as a result of that. But uh, but the evidence for it is, is currently Maybe it's lacking. the fact that uh, the uh, Australia and the UK have reached the second stage of their their, their, their talks on uh, on a trade deal there. So maybe, you know, pinning the hopes on that, perhaps <laughs> it's going to be the saviour for the UK economy. Who perhaps. needs, who needs uh, a look, US free trade deal when you can have one with Australia and New Zealand? We can have there. Australia, yeah, exactly. Many Tim times as you want now look uh, we uh, quite a bit happening to, well not a bit happening today we get the german zoo survey so measuring economic sentiment for for germany of course you know this has been uh, this has been pretty strong hasn't it, it was 77.4 last time in fact it only went into negative territory it went a long way in in march but uh, one hell of a bounce back that's right. And, and now this is a survey of financial analysts. And I always say, what do we know? But um, this may be the first piece of German data that does actually pick up um, the effect of, you know, rising infection rates in Germany and then the consequences of that. So I think there will be keen interest in there. Um, also, things like in, you know, in the other surveys, the NFIB survey in the US, which is you know, small businesses there who, um, you know, the majority of whom are, are regarded as uh, Trump supporters or Republicans. So with the chances of or the, the, the prospect of a Trump re-election fading, it'd be interesting to see whether that's taken a bite out of that. It may be a little bit too soon, this, this survey being September. Mm. So, um, so yes, I think these, these survey numbers are going to be um, of, of, of some importance for and, sure. Yeah, and worth keeping an eye on the uh, COVID infection rates as well. Definitely climbing again in the United States. States, the seven-day average now, 50,000 per day now, which is back where it was in August. Of course, in August, it was heading down. Uh, now it's heading back up. Not a, a, a number that Donald Trump wants to see uh, ahead, of, ahead of the election, I wouldn't have thought. Okay. Uh, and uh, let's let's just mention, Phil, that the US earnings season kicks off tonight. So um, JP Morgan and Citigroup lead that. So I think also we might see a little bit of deflection of attention from, from US politics just uh, temporarily while we absorb those earnings numbers. Maybe for an hour or two. <laughs> we'll leave it there for now. Great talk, Ray. Cheers, Phil. And that's it. That's the morning call for this Tuesday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.